will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perished in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off, off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I was talking to uh, the guys earlier, and um, we were in here, kind of a couple of guys were in here, we were in here by ourselves, but Wes was one of them. And uh, he was doing some things uh, with our system back there. But it reminded me of uh, these two guys that were at my church growing up. And we had this real narrow building. And uh, they had this crow's nest thing. So, like, they did the sound from, like, on the second floor. And uh, they would, like, listen to Kicker 102.5 country music back there. And one Sunday, the sound came through. And the preacher was like, you better turn that country music off, you know. And he yelled out both of their names, but maybe cracked me up. But I was just going to remind you uh, that when you are listening to the scriptures, that you uh, that we are hearing the word of God and we want to, to hear it well. So I just encourage you in that and hopefully like some country songs not running through your head right now. And we can like circle back in if it is and like hop into this text because Ecclesiastes is one of those uh, books that certainly give you a lot of wisdom, hopefully that you will carry throughout your life. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for clarity of thought. We pray for understanding. We pray for transformation. And we ask you to do that. And we'll give you the glory for it. We don't take credit for the mercies that you show us in understanding your word. In Christ's name, amen. Some things in life do not seem right. That's just 
a reality. And, and I've said this a lot lately because I do think I meet people who are what I would call, it's not, the, it's not about their intellect. They might be very smart people. But they're simple people. And what I mean by that is um, they cannot see beyond what they have known in their life. And so as a result, rather than being wise, they are uh, simple in the way that they think of things. And you might say, Jared, life is simple. And he's going to summarize that at the end of Ecclesiastes. But the reality is, is the author understands there are a lot of things that just don't seem right. There are things that are messed up. People that live not with a month or two of trouble, but a lifetime of trouble. And so we don't always understand that because you know what? Some of the finest Christian people I have ever known have experienced the greatest troubles. Do you know what the greatest troubles did for them? It made them some of the finest people I've ever known. <laughs> the person that has never known trouble is oftentimes the least mature as a Christian. So it's important just to say, I think, when we're looking at things, we say, there are things that just don't seem right. And they do trouble us, and they trouble Him. And the longer you live, the more you're going to see those things. It is hard when you see someone who works hard. Like I would say, there are people that I know that work really hard their whole life and can barely pay their bills. Not because they've spent everything frivolously, not because they are like uh, they haven't sought to do with what God has given them everything that they can, but just because that's where God had them. I may be bemoaning it more than they are, thinking, why have they worked so hard and can barely move ahead? There are people who have had children with cancer, and they die with cancer. And they believe and trust in God in enormous ways and see His hand at work even in cancer. Those things don't seem right to me. I have seen spouses leave their spouse and the children for wicked desires of the heart and it's not right to me. It's not because the wife was a bad person and a wicked person to live with. It may just have been that wicked person displayed their wickedness at a later date. It doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem right to the author of Ecclesiastes. It frustrates him. Because I want it to be this way. I want those who seem to be humbly seeking the Lord to experience blessing is the way I see it. Earthly blessing. 
But that is not the way it always is. God does not do evil. But sin is within his plan. Just like redemption is in his plan. From before the foundation of the world, Titus says that the triune God in their own uh, togetherness planned this redemption before man was ever created. We're not on plan B for the universe. We are on plan A. And in the decrees of God, He is doing His will on earth. The lack of a smooth sailing life, the twists and turns, are a part of God's providential working in this world. You're going to see that today. You can say, oh, I don't really agree with that. Be like, that's fine. Don't agree with the wisdom teacher. But the, it's the reality. So the writer here is helping you understand there's a lot of striving after when men pursue all kinds of things to try to, I don't know, satisfy their own hearts. What they really need to do is understand eternities in their heart and they need to stand in awe of God. Every time they step out on earth and look across the landscape of this world, they're going to see wickedness and oppression. And one of the wonderful things God has done is uh, in, in helped us understand that we need to worship, to live in awe of Him. So we regularly do so, and um, we trust Him, and we try to continue to do that over and over throughout our life. But, as we've been seeing, we should expect adversity and Choose to be wise even though sometimes wisdom doesn't seem to help your lot in life. Where, what you're going to experience in life. You could think of this uh, first section we're looking at today as a roller coaster. You know? And just see it that way. God designs twists and turns in life. Sometimes that makes you happy and sometimes that makes you really sad. And that's just something we have to come to grips with. One of the authors I read this week talked of Thomas Boston who wrote a sermon called The Crook in the Lot. So, in your lot, your lot in life, what you're given, there are places where it's crooked. And it makes a change in your life. That's not supposed to happen. I wasn't expecting it to, but it did. And God's working out those things. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now, I think that's just an important thing to say. Are you going to, this is, the, the, the man, the arrogant, simple man would say, there's a crooked road there, I'll straighten it. A self-righteous man, a man who thinks a lot of his own self, he says, this, the wisdom teacher would say, can you make, can you make that crooked path straight? You're going to move God's plan. You're going to change God's, the road that God has set 
Come on, man. Wake up. His decrees stand. He is working out his plan. What we want to do in the midst of that is not say, I'm going to buck God's plan. It's like somebody with the Ten Commandments, they say, you don't break them, you're broken over them. You don't break God's plans, the things that He has orchestrated. You may break yourself over them, but you need to see that God is orchestrating His plans in the world. Can you alter them? That's something just to stop and consider. Can you change them? If He has twists and turns in the road, frightening or extremely joyful, you can't change those. They both, though, exist. We don't understand all the stuff, but we can stop and say, um, positive or negative, the secret things of my life, that is, what he's doing with me is something I don't fully understand. I can take the revealed will of God and say, I want to live, fear God and obey his commandments. I, I want to do that. I'm going to pursue that. But with regard to how all of my life fleshes out, the secret things, the things I don't know that might come in the future, that's just, that's not for me to, I can't change that. I can't alter that. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, so as a result, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other. Who's done that? Who's done that? Well, you made your bed. God made it. God made the day of adversity and the day of prosperity. Again, is it wrong for you to, let's say, fear God and obey His commandments? Let's use an example. Is it wrong for you to love your neighbor? No. Should you love your neighbor? Yes. But do you have control over who your neighbor is? How your neighbor responds? You know, like, you know, that's not, you don't know all those things. Whether or not, like, they will even let you be neighborly towards them. We don't, we don't know all that. We just obey what he says to do and know that history is his. He owns it. Another example might be, should you take care of your physical body? Yeah, within to some extent, right? You eat properly or whatever. But are there people that eat properly and exercise four times a week and do it at certain percentage of their you know their heart rates at this number 
for their whole life and still get cancer? Answer? Yes. So we don't know all of those things, but we can, within a normal bodily discipline, is of some profit. So you take care of yourself to some level, but you say the secret things belong to God. But when you have a good meal, when you have a financial windfall, when you have a meaningful conversation, when you have a pleasurable experience, when you have success in ministry, or any other thing, say thank you. Be joyful. And likewise, when you have, let's say, a darker day, yesterday the boys, uh, I took two different boys uh, hunting at two different times, you know, just for a couple of hours. And Ben was saying that, uh, he said, man, those birds were just, I mean, when that sun's coming up and those birds are singing, golly, they're just, that's something. But when when the birds aren't singing, you know, and when nothing seems right in the world, and when you can barely put food on the table, and when work is a chore, and all those things, you do, you consider, you consider. Because we have to just say to ourselves, the Lord is in charge and he's working out his plans. Both of those are days that the Lord has made. Is that not shocking to you? He made both. He made both days. It's just helpful. We got to keep going back to it's called like providence. Providence. You just got to keep going back to those realities. There's a, a one of the authors said there is no lot without a crook. So I, you know, there's a million different things that could be for you good memories and bad memories. There could be good weeks and bad weeks, good relationships and bad relationships. And the deal is, you just come down to the place where you say, Lord, I, I don't understand all the things here. I want to do what I need to do to be faithful, but I don't really know the plans and I don't want to be in charge of them. I'm not the straightener of the crooked places, even when I want to be. Verse 15, in my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Can you believe that? How long have you lived to see that? I mean, the reality is you might say, well, I don't know about all that. I mean, I thought if you did good, you're going to get good. You do bad, you're going to get bad, you know, or whatever it might be. Reality is he says, I've seen it all, and I've seen the, the um, righteous man perish, and I've seen the wicked man flourish. And I I mean, I would even go so far as to say, just be careful when you look at your life and you say, God has really uh, made everything perfect and easy and blah, blah, blah. You know, somebody has this long list of stuff and you think, well, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're righteous or godly. You know, I mean, that's just, so you just have to consider those things. But we rejoice in the good and... um, we consider the things that when they're bad. I mean, you just have to understand that and, and, and move forward. Um, 
Martin Luther said, enjoy these things like the good kind of things that are present in such a way that you do not base your confidence on them as though they were going to last forever, but reserve part of uh, our heart for God so that with it we can bear the day of adversity. He's just saying like, look, don't, don't get so happy about the good days that when the bad days come, uh, you've really built your house on sand. I mean, that's what happens. Is that, That's the danger. Is like you could build your house on sand. And God's working in all of those things. So he's saying, praise God for your prosperity and trust God through your adversity. It's very, 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 very important. Um, verse 16 through 18 you see here. He says, be not overly righteous. Do not make uh, yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out uh, from both of them. Now, uh, this is tough. These are this is a tough verse. Uh, you could say something like, um, kind of live in the middle. Don't be too good. Don't be too bad. I mean, you could take it like that, and some of you may say. I mean, it always cracks me up when somebody's like, I just read the Bible literally. And it's like, well, why don't you read it, read it within its genre and depend on whether or not you're going to read it like literally or figuratively. I mean, you've got to think about it. the genres. I mean, the different types of literature you're reading, right? But in this case, I mean, it really is one of those things where people kind of struggle a little bit. like Because there are kind of things that he says in Ecclesiastes that are difficult. And... um um, one author I read this week, uh, you know, again, he could be saying don't be too bad and too good. And that is a philosophy, a way people would think about life. Uh, some people might say something like, uh, if you're too good, you won't have any fun. And if you're too bad, God's going to get you. That's most people's philosophy. I've heard a lot of people say like, man, that dude, if there's a place in hell like I can guarantee you he'll have one. Right? Or they'll say something like, man, they can't do anything. It's like, you can't, even, I mean, you can't do anything with them because they're always just so uptight, you know. So it could be that. It could be uh, something of like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Riken says, is he says, I, I think that it may likely be the way to look at this is people live within two kind of extremes. In here we would say one would be, shun self-righteousness and the other one is kind of uh don't let sin take you you know off into like wickedness so it may be something like the prodigal son story where the older brother thinks so highly of himself he is so self-righteous uh that he he can't you know like he really doesn't even understand who god is and the younger brother is so rebellious, he doesn't really understand. And so God gets left out of both of these people's lives. That may be how to see it. And when you think about that, it's, it's a, this is just a hard text because you think, uh, you know, that is, that, if it's that way, that helps you to some extent. Because when you come to the end of that, he says, uh, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The one who fears God knows he's desperately wicked and yet wants to be close. 
The one who fears God sees himself in his spiritual bankruptcy and flings himself upon the mercy of God. That's what the one who fears God does. He knows that he's sinful, and yet he's striving to live a righteous life. And so, because out of gratitude for what God has done. It's just just a different way. I think it's the gospel way. That's the way the gospel says you are more sinful, Keller uh, has spoken, uh, than you ever, you know, imagine and more love than you ever dared hope. And I think that's important just to remind yourself of regularly. I think maybe that is, when we see God as who he is, It destroys our self-righteousness, Isaiah 6, woe is me. And yet, we tremble because you say, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips. I need to be rescued. I need God to rescue me. And I fear his wrath. I don't want to come under his divine displeasure. I don't want to do it because I love him, but I also don't want to do it because I know that he will not allow me to continue in my sin. So, um, as we think about the crooked things of life, Boston stated a lot of different things that it does. But I think it comes down to, like, what does trouble do for your soul? I mean, just think about it. What has it done in your life? How has God used it for your soul care? Trouble. And uh, it may have brought you to salvation. It may have convicted you of some of your sins. It may have brought you out of spiritual laziness. It's, um, it, it, it may have like cut some of the ties of your desire to like plant your life in this world. It, it could use, God could use it in a lot of different ways. And so you just remember that. I think it's important to understand that. So I, I think it's, um, so that, that may be a helpful thing for you. And I, hopefully it will be. Now, the next step that you kind of go to and as you're thinking about, I think you always look at text like this and you say, okay, how do we deal with that? How do we think of it biblically? How do we think of it in light of our Savior and those kind of things? Um, one thing to say would be this. Jesus had crooks in his life. One author noted, it was a crook that came in the shape of a cross. Y'all remember that one in his life? In his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his father if there was any way to make Calvary straight instead of crooked. God could straighten out that, which he ultimately did through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, the crookedness of sin and all of those things then you can trust him to ultimately do all that he's going to do in your own personal life. That's just the reality. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection gives you hope that one day all the crooked things will be made straight. Isaiah speaks of it too, right? So then after that, after we say, hey, troubles come, it comes up and down. There's all kinds of things that come in life. We should expect it. Uh, we don't understand it all the time. He still says it's good to be wise. So let's look at that real quick. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So you got to think in terms of this when you're looking at it. Um, I, I think what he's saying, like, is maybe it depends on how you would translate. But one wise man is greater than ten 
people in a city, to be governed by one who is wise. Wisdom has a way of restraining like foolish activities. Uh, it has a way of restraining foolish thoughts. It has a way of restraining foolish words. It has a way of restraining foolish like decision making. Wisdom's a really helpful thing. Now, you might say, that guy's really worldly wise. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about just being wise in general, spiritually wise. Spiritual wisdom translated into earthly activities blesses people. Verse 20 through 22. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So this kind of starts the place of like, one, it says, when we would say a wise man on earth, we're not saying these people are perfect. The next thing is to say, and these are just kind of like just little proverbial statements. The next thing is to say, hey, you know what? Uh, a wise man doesn't listen to what his servant says all the time. Nor maybe his spouse or his kids. No, I mean, in this sense, when people are mad, they say ugly things. You can't take that always to heart. Or people that don't like you, or maybe you just feel like somehow you... Uh, uh, scare them or whatever. They're going to say dirty things, let's say, behind your back. You got it. You can't. You, you just got to walk in wisdom. If you're going, they always say, like, if you're going to work in some kind of leadership role, expect to have people uh, coming after you all the time. They're always looking for things. And the deal is, is when you're the one in making decisions, doing those kind of things, uh, you're going to have people saying, hey, you're wrong, he's wrong, she's wrong, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's better just to pursue wisdom and to be wise. That's better. You just have to be careful not to listen to everything that is said. Uh, in uh, the book of Titus, it says, and um, by the way, the people that are the loudest generally that talk the most, most trash, did y'all know that? You ready? The people that talk the most trash do the least generally. As a, they're going to do the least. They're going to contribute the least to everything. It's, it's like a long... I can almost tell you, like I have been in leadership stuff for a long time. That's just a reality. And so it's like uh, you just kind of say, well, sometimes that's going to happen and uh, the critics are going to be all around us and you just have to know that. So be a wise person. It's good to have wise leaders in a family or wherever you may be leading. And it's also important to say to yourself, um, you don't need to always listen to what other people say because sometimes what they're saying is bad wrong. So the other thing is, verse 23 through 25, just moving through here, he says, uh, I worked hard to be wise. He, it's like, uh, he, you ever spent a long time trying to get something right? He made his kind of focus in life really being a wise person. And you know what he found out? Even though he had resolved to be wise, he had a lot of resources to throw at wisdom, he still realized is that he didn't have all the answers. If you get around a right wise person, you'll find out, um, likely, if they're truly wise, they'll be really humble. A person that's always like, even in their own mind, or maybe they don't say it to everybody, but they think they've got it all figured out. 
generally is someone, again, who's not very wise. Because if you got it all figured out, you probably haven't searched for it very long. He's saying the deeper the search, the more you realize you don't know. I remember when I went to seminary and you're sitting there and you're studying with uh, great, great scholars. I try to go to a great, great school. And I'm studying with these insane scholars. And I think I've told you this before, but I walked by this uh, office one day and one of the greatest scholars in the, uh, that seminary group or whatever, he is uh, on his knees with some smart aleck student. He's on his knees trying to find something for that student. And that student's just asking him questions like he's the fool. And that guy's on his knees down there pulling out things for this guy. And I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? And you know what? He looked up at one point and said, I'm just trying to give you the few jewels that I've mined over my years in study. And you meet these, like... It's like somebody, you, you might say to someone, somebody might say, you're like, oh yeah, I remember one time somebody came to me and said, I've been studying up on those Left Behind series, and I was like, really? He said, yeah, I like studying that eschatology. And I was like, okay. You've been reading fake novels? You've studied on the end times? You haven't studied anything. Well, I read my Bible all the way through once. Really? That's great. You know? But it's not, it's kind of like going to the doctor and saying, like, I got on WebMD and I figured out what's wrong with me. I get their weekly newsletter. Okay. You, you've studied that more than me? You know, but a humble person says, and I would say this, like, when, when I read the Bible, do I come to texts I don't understand? Yes. All the time. Do I make, is it hard for me to make a decision about how to put all that together? Yes. Do I struggle with that every week? Yes. Do I think I've understood all of it? No. Could I study this lifetime after lifetime after lifetime? If God would give me ten lifetimes, would I think I had this all down? No. So the reality is, is the one who has studied uh, anything, especially with regard to spiritual things, the spiritual wisdom, you just realize you don't know everything. Now, he goes to another thing. So we just say, you know, we're just talking about kind of wisdom stuff. We're saying the world has a lot of things that come along our way. It can be ups and downs throughout our life. Uh, so it gives strength for us to be wise. Uh, while at the same time, we have to understand we're never going to find it all out. The third thing is, is there are a lot of traps along the way in our pursuit of wisdom. Now, this could be, he could use this picture of a woman in the sense of his pursuit of wisdom and uh how he kind of went after something that didn't really turn out or he could be saying like listen um there is a real danger and you think about if this is solomon remember he had a thousand uh wives and concubines you know and if you think about him in that regard he's he might say uh, I've met many seductive women, a thousand of them, but not one good one. Again, so he, he may be kind of speaking in that way, and he's trying to help you say, be wise, know that there are things that could hijack, which gen like often do a man, it could hijack uh, the, the direction of one's life. So 
um, be a Joseph, let's say, instead of uh, one who would be like Samson. Maybe it would be something like that. Verse 27 and 28. Behold, this is what I've found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I've found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So again, he may have, uh, his lifestyle may have like kind of brought that on, but at the same time he's saying, men and women both, it's hard to find good ones. And when it comes to wisdom, it is hard to find good people. That's why I would say, don't listen to everybody. Age is not a respecter. I mean, you can grow in foolishness as you age just as well as growing in wisdom as you age. So I think it's important kind of to note that. Now, verse 29 says like, he says, see this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. They've sought out different ways to live wickedly. Since Adam's fall, this wickedness and devious schemes have continued over and over and over. Some of people's greatest like struggles with biblical doctrine is the doctrine of depravity. But depravity just is like shown to be true every day of your life. Sin in the heart. We see that over and over. No one walks... When they've Adams, those who've come out of Adam's race, you might say they're all uh, walking wickedness, and you see that over and over and over again. He says that God made man in a state of innocence, and they were like you could say functionally like they they were walked in righteousness for a time, but when they fell into sin, sin has continued all the way through. The only hope really for us is the Scripture says. By one man, like all fell into sin, and by one man, the many, that is, all those who believe, are made righteous. That's the hope. That's the hope. So when you think about this today, you say, God has brought many twists and turns in life. And even though they're coming, you will have days that are really happy and days that are really sad. Ultimately, um, pursuing wisdom is a good thing. And the greatest wisdom is to come to the place where you say, of all the things that I don't understand, this one thing I know. There is one who came, who died for us, who lived, died, rose again, and he promises that he did this to make the crooked places straight. And we can trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom in direction to be people who live according to your ways. We pray that we would not be overly trusting in this world. We do thank you for the wonderful days and the beautiful days and the days when the birds sing. But we also know there will be days when they're silent. May you give us a heart that trusts you wherever we may find ourselves and look forward to Jesus' return when everything will be made right. In Christ's name, amen.
you would um, stand with me.